I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. Staring deep into your eyes. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit here. I must say, it's getting me kind of in the mood. Is that uh, a good <laughs> It thing? wasn't the intent. I promise you it was not the intent. Oh, man. I had to come up with a mapping song or a song related to mapping today, of course, for uh, GIS Day. So happy GIS Day to all oh, of yeah. our, happy our GIS, GIS Day. for sure. That's so our, amazing, yeah. Our episode this evening is GIS-centric, as they might say, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But before we do that, a uh, quick recap of Dimensions last week. I know we pumped it up for like two or three weeks leading up to it. We did not pump it up enough. <laughs> exactly. I totally agree with that. It exceeded all my personal expectations, that's for sure. I was blown away. I came home a changed man. Well, that's probably for the better, but yes. It was, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I was so humbled after leaving there. I mean, we met so many people that we've known just through social media forever. Um, Elaine Ball, got to meet her finally. Peter Cox, of course. Um, Slugsy from, where is he from? South America. And oh, just yeah. people from across yeah. the globe that, you know, I feel like I've known, but just never physically met before. So it was very humbling. And thanks to everybody that came to the booth and, you know, either interviewed with us or just shared so many kind words and stories and appreciation for what we're doing. I and mean, to Trimble. And to Trimble. I mean, unbelievable. Um, unbelievable hosts. I mean, everything they did was just truly awesome. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And we are going to be releasing a special. Tr- well, probably, oh, there's going to be a lot of episodes. There's going to be a lot of content. Yeah. Be prepared. Well, by the time you guys hear this, there would have been a. a a barrage of content of all the interviews and everything yeah. else that we, we, we did. So it was a lot of fun. And we talked to so many interesting people with so many great stories. So just don't miss it. That's all I'm going to say. Don't miss it. It's great. Um, on that note, you mentioned Trimble. Trimble just today confirmed that they are going to be another one of our, or be our friend of the program for 2023. Yes. So we are, uh, we are opening those opportunities up right now for our current friends of the program to see who's going to re-up for next year. And then if there's any openings after that, we'll open it up to whoever would like to jump in and uh, hop on board of this, this locomotive, let's say. Oh, it is a train. It is indeed. And uh, so, yeah, be uh, stay tuned for, for more on that. With that, tonight we have um, pretty much usual cast, myself, of course. We have Sean and we have uh, Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick, how are you, man? hey Happy GIS Day. Happy GIS Day. Big day for day. you, buddy. Yeah, it's like, I mean, literally my favorite day of the year. <laughs> One of them, anyways. <laughs> that and your birthday. Yeah, birthday, maybe the Christmas, <laughs> then GIS day. Uh, see, I have a December birthday, so oh, I got kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I know yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, me too. Same and, boat. And Nick, so both you and your wife are, are GIS nerds for the most part. Um, so it, it's a big day for you guys. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so we've been doing the GIS day for a few few years now. I think the coolest thing I heard today, now, now don't don't tell anybody, but I hear through the grapevine when Jack Dangerman, the um, yep. the guy who created Esri, you know, um, the largest GIS software, he he created GIS Day. He said he actually was inspired, ready for this, by Ralph Nader. That's how, what I heard today. That was the coolest thing really? I heard at the GIS how, Day event today. How are they connected? No idea. That That's was that, crazy. that they didn't I they wouldn't disclose any more information, but apparently that uh Ralph Nader is amused. <laughs> interesting. That is very interesting. Oh man, how about you, Sean? What's new? 
Oh, man, just uh, kind of getting things back in the groove. Um, did a real cool thing this weekend and went to the Downtown Phoenix Pizza Festival. Interesting. Believe it or not, they put on a pizza festival right downtown. Had a bunch of food trucks out there, local pizza, some good drinks. Had a couple, had a band with some, you know, couple bands doing live music. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Had the family out. Had some friends. Awesome. It, was, it was good. It was good times. Awesome. It's a little different than I'm used to at that same place. I think I went to the Strong Beer Festival probably mm. ten years ago, and now I'm going to a food festival and. The hangover is a little different, I'll tell you that. Oh, that's what happens when you get old. Yeah, well, it was, you know, we still had a couple drinks, but it was more about I overindulged in pizza. <laughs> like, there was a Eat time I was, oh, I went, I went, I wanted to try everything, you know, Neapolitan, deep dish. We had some pizza muffins. I mean, just a little bit of everything. And Sounds like heaven. The last two I did not need, and that was Purely speculative of, of how that was going to go. And I noticed on Monday that you were looking a little puffy. So that, that probably explains why. <laughs> yeah, D- yeah. Diabetic shock. After pizza <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, I prepared for a marathon and then just sat on my couch all day the next day. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> all right, man. Tell us about that opening number. Uh, that was Dirks Bentley, a song called Draw Me a Map. Dirks is an American country music singer and songwriter, born in November 20th, 1975 in, yes sir, Phoenix, Arizona. Bentley studio albums have accounted for 27 singles on the hot country songs and country airplay charts, of which 18 have reached number one. And we always see him here at the Phoenix Open. He always plays in the, 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 uh, the, the Pro-Am on Wednesday, so he's good for the community. He is indeed, and I have a Dirk Bentley story. Oh, let's hear it. This is a classic. Um, this goes back probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. I was taking a first flight out to D.C. for some meetings, and it went through Nashville. So get on the flight, <clears throat> get in my seat. Guy on the left of me, I'm in the center seat. Guy on the right, you know, it's a couple-hour flight to Nashville, whatever. And I, I noticed the whole time that the guy on my right, you know, he's got his, uh, I don't know, Apple, whatever, open, and he's, like, editing music the whole time, right? Guy on the left of me, I mean, I thought nothing of it. He's paging through, like, a, uh, you know, a Learjet magazine where you buy jets and stuff, right? <laughs> okay. And I'm, like, I mean, it's first flight in the morning. I'm freaking half asleep the entire time. And uh, flight lands, you know, then, of course, everybody talks to each other. I'm, like, oh, man, I see you editing music. Are you, you know, in a band or something like that? And uh, he Kind of gives me a nod. Like, then I look over. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. And then you? And he goes, I'm Dirk Bentley. <laughs> so I was on a flight for two hours. And Dirk Bentley sitting right next to me. I had no idea who he was the entire time. But super Not cool guy. Word. Oh yeah, man, yeah. totally awkward. Like, totally cool, awkward. cool. I'm like, my Huge daughter fan. would be so excited if she knew this right, <laughs> <All> right. <now. laughs> Anyways, uh, here we are in the Diamondback Lancer Bank studio. Again, I mean, we constantly blow smoke up Trent Keenan's butt, but we did spend quite a bit of time with him last week in Vegas. Phenomenal host. Best host ever. Oh, yeah. yeah Unbelievable, yeah. that guy. Um, words just don't give him enough. I don't mm-hmm. even know the words to give him enough credit, to be honest with you. Um, great hanging out with him. Got to see his lovely wife, Lisa, for uh, a couple of the different events. And it was great to see her. Uh, and Heather, of course. And just great family. They do so much for the professional answering, it's ridiculous. So, uh, TK, thanks for everything you do, man. All right, Producer Sean, Degenerate Lock of the Week. You got anything, buddy? Uh, of course I do. I uh, am anything, if, if not persistent. 
Uh, I just quick update on uh, the last lock of the week. I believe it was something that I also lost. Uh, I can't remember exactly what game it was. Oh, it was the uh, uh, New Orleans Baltimore game where I took the opposite of my intuition and the opposite of my opposite actually happened. So, mm. yeah. Uh, like I said before, I'm a terrible gambler, so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> um, but we do have some a massive sporting event starting, and that is the <laughs> World Cup in Qatar. What's Qatar? Yeah, some uh, Qatar. Oh, Qatar. Yeah, they call it Qatar. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. where it's being held. Or That's something? where it is being held. Okay. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm evolving into more of a soccer fan, football, whatever you want to call it. So uh, I figure we go through. I give a two locks to make the quarterfinals. Okay. Uh, the quarterfinals, the semifinals is the last four teams. So this would be the last eight, eight teams. teams. Okay. Uh, the first is uh, at plus one or plus four thirty, Mexico to wow. make the quarterfinals. Uh, for I like those, those odds. For, I, lo- I love those odds. They actually had the same odds as the U.S., which I thought seemed a little off because I didn't. Did, I thought the U.S. would be a little, you know, a little more trouble to get yeah. there. Uh, so I like Mexico to make the last eight. Okay. And uh, Portugal right now is minus 105, just about even money, uh, to make quarterfinals. So I, I love Portugal to get there. I don't see them getting to the finals, but I do see them getting out of group play and to the last eight. So if I'm doing my math correctly, what you lose on Mexico, you'll make up for with Portugal-ish. Ish. Let's say that you both, you, you know, you take those two locks and put, Five dollars on each. If Mexico loses and Portugal wins, you'll break even. There you go. If both win, you're having a pizza party. Yes, you are. <laughs> pizza muffins. <laughs> pizza muffins. <laughs> Actually, very delicious, by the way. Oh man, now I'm hungry. All right, here we go. Liquid Death's <laughs> weekly words of wisdom. A couple quotes here that I selected because of our GIS centric episode this evening. Uh, the first one is this: uh, The early days of GIS were very lonely. No one knew what it meant. That was Roger Tomlinson. I believe he is also known as the father of GIS. And the other quote that I really liked, this gentleman was already mentioned, the application of GIS is limited only by the imagination of those who use it. That, of course, is Jack Dangerman. What do you think of that? Uh, Inspirational. Eh, I guess if you're into that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, right. Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute. On November 15th, people across the globe come together to celebrate geography. GIS Day is about celebrating the importance of better understanding. Promoting spatial literacy. Applying the science of geography in meaningful ways. It's a day dedicated to showing teaching, learning, and inspiring others to become excited about geography. So on November 15th, donate your time, visit a school, attend an event, and show the world why you love geography.
All right, our guest this evening, we have Rebecca Ridley with us. A little bit about Rebecca. Born in Anniston, Alabama. She attended University of Alabama and Jacksonville State University. In her free time, she enjoys gardening, sewing, and kayak fishing. Very cool. She is currently the GIS manager for a state agency. And one thing that she is very proud of is setting up the enterprise system for the agency that she works for, interfacing non-spatial systems with spatial to ensure our GIS is an informative is informative while meeting the less than functional requirements of government. We'll get more into that here in a second. And she is passionate about learning and creativity. And cool fact, she was an archaeologist for 15 years of her career. Rebecca, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, we, we know this is last, was very last minute, but somehow or another, our mutual friend, uh, Robert Martin, connected us. And in the last 24 hours, we pulled this together. So again, thank you so much for uh, carving out this time. Yeah, no worries. Well, I'm sure you had the day off because it was GIS day. So oh, it's holiday. a vacation day for you, right? Yeah, right. I spent the whole day with a bunch of surveyors. <laughs> it's kind of like a vacation. Get it surveyed. That sounds like a vacation. <laughs> it's a ninja survey holiday. I get it now. I get oh, it. man, that's great. All right, so the Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. This is for you, Rebecca. Who has been the biggest influence in your life as it pertains to your career? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I would actually say my dad. And the reason I'm going to say that mm -hmm. is because I was always a daddy's girl. He always had me out in the woods, nice. usually nice. at night. We used to coon hunt. So he taught me not to be afraid and how to find my way around, which led to the career in archaeology, which led to the career in GIS, which led to, hmm. I guess, just not being afraid to be a woman in a man's world. Love it. Love it. And I got to say, there's something about someone with a Southern accent saying, going on a coon hunt. It just sounds good. It sounds natural, right? It is. It's natural. It yeah. is very natural. Very natural. Very natural. Hey, Nick, just out of curiosity, who would, uh, who would fall in that category for you? Oh, gosh. In terms of professional-wise? Yeah. Um, I, I would say my dad as well, but I had a, um, a history teacher, uh, Cormac or Reardon, in high school. And uh, I took world history honors with him and I believe government AP or something like that. And um, he was just monumental in, in understanding the world. And he brought a big geographic approach to history and understanding, you know, especially from an Irish perspective, uh, the world. And it was very different and uh, eye opening. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to give a shout out to uh, Cormac or Reardon. Yeah. And what a name. Jeez. It was amazing. Yeah. Hard to top that one. How about you, Sean? You got anybody you can uh, throw out there? You know, it's gonna it's gonna be cheesy. Don't say your dad. It, it, it is my dad. Yeah, <laughs> three dads. I know it really is. Hey, and your he, dad's awesome. I love that guy. And he's not at all in. I mean, completely different career. But yeah. when it when it comes to work ethic and you know when you're sitting there and it's like, man, I really don't want to do this, or I could just not do it, or I can. I don't know. He was the, just the nicest guy ever and had the greatest work ethic. And I just think about it. I'm like, nope, just put your head down and do it and good yep. things will happen. So, yep. Yep. sorry. Got to, got to go there. No, I love it. Love it. And good I stuff. know he listens. So Christmas is coming up. So awesome. All right. Well, let's get to know Rebecca here a little bit more. Um, so Rebecca, talk about your path to becoming, um, you know, a, a GIS professional. 
Um, okay. Well, I actually started out as a biologist. Uh, I was into plants and botany and a little bit of marine biology until we realized that I get seasick on a pool float. So we decided marine biology probably wasn't for me. Um, but so that led to uh, doing the archaeology. I did a lot of mapping. I really enjoyed that part of it, the analysis uh, and spatial distribution of artifacts to infer cultural trends through time. And then I realized I really liked the IT end of it as well. I went back, got a second master's in spatial analysis management, which led to me doing a lot of work for government agencies. And then I ended up being the GIS manager for one of those government agencies. Gotcha. Did you ever work in the, the private sector? Uh, not doing, well, I did actually. I did work um, for a contractor also doing um, federal jobs, but in, in the private sector. And when I did archaeology, I worked in the private sector in cultural resource management. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how did the archaeology experience um, tie in or play a role in you becoming involved in GIS? So we use GIS for a lot of the analytical parts of um, site analysis. So you would plot artifacts, uh, look at them as in these were hunting artifacts. This is prolific manufacture. These are things that are associated with kitchen activities. And so you could take all of that and do density analysis across the site. You could see hot spots and then determine where you wanted to do further analysis. And it would lead to trends through time. You could even look at it vertically because archaeological deposits, you know, what's on the bottom is older than what's on the top. So you can start to differentiate between stratigraphic distributions and horizontal distributions. And it's amazing what you can, the, the, the analytical capabilities with GIS it, and it's, you know, like you guys said, GIS is relatively new. So it was a whole new vision into the past using the GIS. Yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Tom Hebert, he actually flew into Vegas to record a podcast with us. He is a paleontologist and he is doing that same type thing. He is creating a GIS for all of the, the dinosaur bones that, that he is finding. Um, so it's just, it's incredible. The, the various applications and the umbrella that GIS covers is, um, it's pretty mind boggling. Yeah, I just yeah. ran into it today. Of, uh, I was at a pavement conference, mm. and uh, ADOT has a map of the pavement condition of all of the ADOT roadways mm. and some of the inside the city roadways of, uh, you know, green, yellow, red, or whatever in a GIS platform. Like, it's pretty yep. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love hearing the, the fact. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. Oh, sorry. One of the kind of really neat things that we did early on, um, and it's, it's sort of unusual, it's out of the box. We were taking lithic stone tools, so like arrowheads and spearheads, mm. and we would scan those in, georeference them, yep. pull them into the GIS software and overlay a polar grid, clip it around the outline of the artifact that we digitized in, and then get um, metrics. And we use those to do statistical analysis in order to determine um, whether the same flint nabber may have been making the, the same artifacts. So that was sort of an out-of-the-box way to use GIS. That's amazing. I similarly got into GIS through archaeology. I hmm. was a history major, uh, anthropology major at UF, uh, University of Florida, 
And uh, I had taken a couple classes, but I, I got lucky enough to go to Italy. And I did a, a summer field school at an archaeological dig in, in southern Italy in uh, Miro Lecese. But long story short, two amazing experiences on that trip. One, I got to run a total station for a month, and I basically mm. shot in all of these uh, artifacts. Now, they weren't lithics, you know, so we not quite so old, but, uh, you know, um, not prehistoric, but historic artifacts. But then I got to see GIS in 2005, you know, in its in its kind of blossoming heyday. Uh, they were using it to plot uh, habitation sites along different rivers throughout Italy and uh, using it to predictively model where, you know, other habitation sites were. And that's changed my life. I mean, wow. um, so it's awesome to hear that uh, there are similar paths and uh, that's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'm just curious, Nick, what does GIS day mean to you? So to me, I think it's more of an awareness. Mm. Um, I think Rebecca mentioned a minute ago that, um, or maybe it was you, Kent, but when we started talking about GIS, nobody knew what it was. It was just like, you know, for a while people thought it was, you know, maybe Google earth or something like that. Um, I think GIS day is an opportunity to educate people that don't know about GIS day. I think the coolest things are, are high school engagement, uh, colleges. So here, uh, well, I'm not in Texas right now, but in Texas, for an example, uh, they have texasgisday.org. And then m most of the major cities, Houston, Austin, you know, San Antonio, Dallas, they all have individual um, huge events, like 50 to a few hundred people in each of these events, and they're live streaming it to all of the other cities. Meanwhile, all of the universities are running GIS Day events. The Esri rep near me in San Antonio said they were a part of 20 different events for GIS Day alone. I'm in, I'm in Memphis right now <laughs> doing that same thing. And so that dissemination of what GIS is, it's, it's like free publicity. And, and, uh, you know, and what I also think is really neat, and maybe Rebecca can speak to this, being part of the government, but a lot of government agencies have GIS days within their their orgs, right? And so they'll invite people to the GIS department to show them what they're doing, to educate other people they work with on the benefits of GIS. And quite frankly, I mean, that is, that's powerful. Rebecca, did, did does your org or do you know of anything like that um, where you're at in Alabama? Um, I don't know specifically in Alabama. Um, I, I work for, I do a lot of federal work. So I get caught up in the federal scheme of things. Um, but I do know that we do a lot of outreach with it, with school groups so that we can bring children in at a younger age and really fascinate them and, and turn them toward the field of GIS as a profession. Wow. So Rebecca, how, how long have you been working in, uh, in GIS? I've been doing GIS since 1995. Wow. Oh, okay. So how would you compare, and Nick, I'll ask you the same question. Um, how would you compare or define GIS today compared to, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, less coding. What is it? Less coding. Less coding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more user-friendly. Oh, um, yeah. I think they've really tried to, you know, change the interface, especially with RTS Pro, with the Esri formats um i've seen more you know that whole get it survey there it always used to seem like 
there was this uh, split between the survey community and the GIS community. Mm-hmm. And now I'm really glad to see Esri working more with Autodesk, trying to integrate more. It's becoming more of a cohesive discipline, mm-hmm. um, interactive. And I think that's only for the benefit of everyone. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's like public platforms, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think like ArcGIS is like a free platform. Is that right? No. No. That's a- no, what's the other no, Maybe it's not ArcGIS. We'll QGIS. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, QGIS. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, Rebecca, you were back in the ArcView AML days. So, when she was doing GIS, you had to code everything. So, you uh, really actually had to learn syntax and code because the there was no GUI interface for people at that time in that capacity. So, yeah, kudos to kudos to you, Rebecca. You you came in a little bit before me. I jumped in right at the early 2000s. So I've been in it about 20 years. Um, I'd say, I mean, the biggest difference to me, like that, is data, mm. data, data, data. I remember being part of some very early on interviews and like internships, and people would ask you, "Where would you get data?" 20 years ago, you had to understand where data came from. You'd have to curate your own data. There was no internet mass dissemination repository of data and the BLM didn't share their data and the state didn't have the data and the DOT didn't have the data. And, you know, there, we would literally ask you, do you know how to find data? And nowadays, like we're so inundated with data, like we don't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, Like there's so much of it. Honestly, I think a lot of people misuse it and, I think that's the biggest difference, but that, but the data is the power behind it. Right. I mean, um, the ease of access to it. I mean, nowadays, I finally ArcGIS, uh, the Esri platform, they, they're going to deprecate ArcMap. So in, in, um, 2026 ArcMap, like the desktop software will no longer be supported from Esri. Uh, nowadays, like a lot of the new practitioners, they're, they're online users, you know, they're pro users, they're using their phones and tablets. So it's just a, a totally, it's, it's been a huge change. You know, it's, it's a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And anybody listening, like myself, who, you know, has been a surveyor for 30 years, I know I misspoke, but QGIS, um, such a cool program. There's so many cool things you can do with that. And the data that Nick mentioned and the way you can incorporate that data into making some really cool maps on there. Um, can, pretty, you, can you spell that for me? Q-G-I-S. Oh, <laughs> Q- QGIS. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's short for quantum GIS. It's, ah, uh, it's originally okay. developed by the European Space Agency and a bunch of nonprofits, but it is basically Esri Light for free. Yeah. It's amazing. Nice. And they have field map software yep. for your phone. And oh, wow. Well. Yeah. Yep. In the research world as well, um, a lot of people will write software in QGIS over Esri and, and they'll share it in the public forums on the mm. internet so you can get the code. So it's all open source, mm-hmm. you know, run kind of detailed artificial intelligence algorithms and deep learning stuff. Um, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Sounds like it. No question. So, Rebecca, in your 20. 20- what is that, 25 plus years? Um, how have you seen GIS transform, um, I, I mean, I, I guess business. I mean, I, I think we can definitely talk for hours about how it transforms our, our daily lives. But um, but what you do specifically, how, how has it changed? Um, well, I would say that it's used a lot more for inform- informative planning. Um, I know we use it to determine where we want to put um, various facilities because we look at various populations. Uh, we check um, 
represent representative districts and we use it to determine where we want to put up uh, new facilities so that it better matches the folks that are going to be working there and recruited. Gotcha. Gotcha. How about you, Nick? Oh my goodness. I mean, <laughs> where to start? Madness. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it on the, on on air, right? So I mean, we our good old buddy Keith Masbeck. I I hate to keep going back to it, but he he articulated it, you know, extremely well. Yep. I feel like we're in a geospatial moment. I think everything today has a geospatial component like never before, um, and it's it's overwhelming, right? So we've been talking Apple watches. Right. And so just randomly like a total consumer good. But now this Apple watch is I mean, it's it's taking biometric data from your body. It's monitoring how you sleep, your, you know, your circadian rhythms. It can determine REM sleep and your temperatures. It can determine menstrual cycles and uh, when when the best time to try to procreate is. And it maps it and it puts it to your purse. I mean, this is (laughs) crazy, right? Like 20 years ago, I'm like, I can't even find the parcel data. I, I can't find who owns the land. Now you can uh, go awesome. and buy data about people. That is just crazy. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting time um, in general, right? Uh, I'll you say this. Ways. You can pop open ways and know which, which route you're going to take when you travel. We couldn't even do that five years ago. Yeah, that's true. What do you think about the geospatial moment comment, Rebecca? Um, as, as in we were in a geospatial moment? Yeah. I think COVID brought that to light. Ooh, Everyone yeah. knows what geospatial is now with all the, mm. the dashboards um, and that kind of thing. You look at a weather map, the polygon, you know, follow, follow the polygon. That's all GIS. Uh, I've got one. I know it's not, we, we don't get into the details of which sides, but we just had an election yeah. and the voting maps and how you can see it. I mean, it's unreal how it you is, can go in crazy. and get real time of like, oh, look at this district. And oh, and then you can drill down even from there. And uh, the, the, the amount of information there, that's, it, it's, it's pretty crazy that, especially just now going through the whole, the whole thing. It was, it was wild. Yep. Yep. And I w- I was literally talking uh, to a gal today. Um, she works uh, here at the county uh, in the Memphis area, and she was part of the redistricting mapping before the election. And so, you know, people move, and, and so they redistrict to create voting areas. And you'd think it'd have some, like, geographic understanding. Not at all. It mm-hmm. is a super complex thing involved with demographics. You look at it, it looks like a Lego piece. And she was trying to explain to me that, the complexities when you have like say a congressperson or a representative in an area right and you go to redistrict it based on just demographics and then that congressperson's no longer in the area right so now they have to wait where the representation is currently based also on the demographics do you see what i'm saying like yep. yeah. gis is that's, this is crazy it's it's it is for neat. sure yeah we've talked about it before but you know like you mentioned nick um between you know our smart watches and our smartphones and the real time data that these that this technology is collecting, um, it's pretty incredible. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. Well, there's certain states, I, I guess, and I, I maybe I wasn't aware of this, where um, you know I've, it, it, they're tracking you, and if you come in close contact with somebody who gets diagnosed positively with COVID, you get a message on your phone that you are in close proximity with somebody to somebody who got COVID. You know, it's just like. 
It's crazy. <laughs> I don't even know. Nuts, nuts. Um, so you mentioned some of the applications. I mean, Rebecca, what are what are a couple or one GIS application that you've seen that um, you know was just completely out of the box? Ooh, I don't know if I can answer that. I, I stay so buried down in what we do. We we just uh, have our own our own in house things. Yeah. Uh, what what would you say? Oh, what was that? I'm sorry. I said, what would you say is one? Me? Oh gosh, uh, I'm just a surveyor. How about you, Nick? Ah, <laughs> uh, coolest GIS mapping type app. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, recently I've been. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna total nerd side tangent. Ready for this? Yep. Shocking, shocking coming from you, Nick. But shocking. Yeah, please. Ready? <laughs> Ready for it? So on Monday nights, I'm uh, I've now gotten back into a Dungeons and Dragons game with some old friends. Nice. And we play online, but all the maps from all the books from all the years are out, and you can pull up interactive GIS maps of fantasy realms wow. and dive into cities and see stories. It's nerd on a whole nother level. It's amazing. Uh, it would make Gandalf proud, I'm just saying. Hello again, Geoholics. We'd also like to thank our good friends at Carlson Software, whose software I actually use on a daily basis. Carlson Software has been producing software and hardware solutions for the land surveying, civil engineering, GIS, and construction industries since 1983. Carlson's unique approach provides geomatics professionals with the most powerful, affordable, and independent technology options and the best free, unlimited tech support in the industry. I can say from personal experience, it is second to none. Their mission is to be the premier independent developer of land surveying, civil engineering, construction, and mining technology products. To find out more, visit carlsonsw.com and be sure to mention that you heard about them on the Geoholics. So at what point does it cross over from GIS to like virtual reality? You know, because what you're talking about, like, well, it sounds like virtual reality, but at at the same time, I guess it isn't GIS application of sorts. Um, At at, at some point, it's all just going to, just all going to be virtual reality. Yeah. I'm just curious what we're going to call it at that point. It's what, what is that thing? Meta. Meta. That's what, that's what uh, Zuckerberg would have bet all his money on, regardless if they just laid off 10,000 people because, you know, they haven't been supporting Facebook, but whatever. Um, he would call it meta, but I, I'd have to hedge bets with him. It may not be in the short term, but you will have a unanimous platform where you can go in and be in the digital twin and have avatars. And I mean, that's not augmented reality. I mean, it's a true virtual, you know, mm. ready player one yep. sort of thing. Yeah, we talked about that last episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it was, or I think I've seen the ones, I don't know where it was, but the Google Trends has a map where you can see where different Google searches are trending in different areas, mm. and you can see the heat and yep. like where you know, and it, and it's over time too. So you could like go back in time and see the progression of you know something yeah. happened in one city, and then the Google the Google uh, words are populating, and then it spreads across the country, and then it goes back, and yeah, it's pre- it's pretty wild. I, I literally have y'all seen that new Predator movie came out in the last few months uh, where the Predator comes to like 1700s, uh, 1600s America and befriends like a Shawnee 
Native American. Have you seen this? The new Predator? Haven't seen it. No. And anyway, think old Predator, right? So the Predator's got this high tech goggle thing on, right? And he's looking for Arnold Schwarzenegger in the woods and he's got infrared with a little tracking. And I'm like, man, that, that sucks. Like, you know, like Navy SEALs got better than that today. Like I can go buy a hollow lens from Trimble and I'll have more heads up information than the Predator has. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So I'd have to ask, Rebecca, are you are you using anything like that in in the federal government or your your agency yet? Like state side, virtual reality or augmented reality or digital twin, three D modeling stuff like that. Um, we do we do a lot of lidar and three D modeling to see um, mostly infrastructure, you know, below the canopy and the trees that we can't see otherwise. Uh, it's a lot cheaper than get it surveyed, so to speak. <laughs> Um, but one of the really interesting things that I hope we can work toward, especially with all the new Autodesk integration, is have you guys seen the virtual reality things at some of the Esri conferences for where you can basically put on a pair of virtual reality glasses? Mm. You can see the wall and you can see they upload the BIM data and you can see all of the electrical, the piping, everything behind the wall. And I think that's a really interesting concept. Yep, for sure. And you mentioned, um, you know, GIS for a long time from a survey perspective meant get it surveyed. But Sean and I were just talking about this the other day. Um, you know, depending on the application for the GIS, you know, how accurate do the measurements really need to be? And I know surveyors are going to balk at that, but depending on the application for the mapping, how accurate do things really need to be from a measurement perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's like you say, it all has to do with context, but I do actually run a survey grade GIS. Okay. So I suppose I'm a little, I'm a little biased. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. 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 What do yeah. you think about that, Nick? You've got a survey background as well. Yeah. So I, I got at, uh, today I was in a pre-conference workshop uh, doing field collection, like training with Esri and about 25 people. And a similar question came up on like accuracies and things like this. If you're out and I'm, I'm I'm recording, you know, a survey, not not a land survey, but like I'm asking questions about who you are and what you're doing, and I'm looking at graffiti and I'm taking a picture. Yeah. Quite frankly, a few meters of accuracy is probably okay to get you on the street corner, right? The difference, you know, immediately though, when you get outside of kind of that qualitative social aspect of GIS, the moment mm -hmm. you get into infrastructure and the development of land. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with Rebecca. I'm, I'm going to push towards survey grade all the time. You know, um, accuracy is addictive. We, and what is absolutely proven. And I can say that because I've done the own, my own research. So you can go Google search me and look on Google scholar. I've been a part of a few published papers on looking at augmented reality and how augmented uh, reality can be used for mapping. And what we found was you have to have high accuracy, like from a GNSS as a basically like think of it as like the datum or the cog mm -hmm. in the middle of the wheel of augmented reality without a really good position X, Y, and Z to start from, you can't really do much of anything. Additionally, if you don't have high accuracy of the assets that you're trying to see in the real time. So if your phone, right, is you're using your camera to look and I want to see where a hypothetical trench is. 
if I don't have centimeter grade accuracy all around, that trench could be eight inches off to the left. And if I'm a directional driller, I got to cut a trench into the ground to put a pipe in, mm-hmm. or I got to bore a hole into it, right? That's that's a big problem. And so I think it really depends on what you're doing. But as we march towards BIM models, like Rebecca said, you know, building information models and the digital twin, and we want to use augmented reality, not just for fun, not just for like decision-making on a broad level, but truly like imagine a operator of a backhoe with a pair of goggles on, Yep. right? Imagine that the foreman walking around the job site's got this pair of goggles on. Imagine that your land surveyor pulls up to the site. You can ask Will Wing about this in Arizona. We did some testing, but you walk up to the site and you could see hypothetically where the boundaries are, right? Like when we start to utilize it in the day in, day out, it has to be accurate. It, it, it has to be. And that's proven, you know, scientifically. Well, I understand that. I'm, I guess my question would be, at one point, can you, and at when do we transition from, you know, let's take that example. We see the water line in the wall. At what point are you going to rely solely on those glasses and put that nail through the wall two centimeters beside that water line? And when is the confidence going to be there to rely solely on those glasses? And not drill the little pilot hole and make sure before you do it. Yeah, the uh, the measure twice, cut once rule. Yeah, I mean, because that's, that's what you're talking about is, all right. Because, I mean, you, that's how it's used today. And that's how I think most people have in their head about where it's still going to go. It's like these all these great tools. But eventually, it's just going to get me as a guide, mm. like Nick said, I'm still going to dig really slowly next to that until I can see it and then have the guy hop down and... And, you know, speaking of archaeologists, take the take the toothbrush and move the dirt out of the way until you can expose it and then you proceed on. Like, at what point, and I'm, yeah. I guess the question for you guys, do you see that in the next 5, 10, 20 years where it is completely relied upon, where we aren't checking and the goggles are there, you see it in the ground and dig it and go? Yeah, that's good. And I, I think that, you know, and Nick, you're going to love my use of this word. Um, with the democratization of GPS, you I'm, have uh, uh, speaking of spelling, can I can I get a spelling on that one? You'll have to ask Nick. Okay, I've only heard it before. G O O G L E dot com. But um, but seriously, with the democratization of GPS and some of that, Nick can talk about more if you'd like. Um, if you have the ability to create a survey grade GIS, why wouldn't you? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I think it was Charlie Trimble that said accuracy was addictive. So, you know, I, mean, I think he spoke the truth. If you can go ahead and collect that, uh, why not? Right. So back in the day to go and collect survey grade data, you'd have to spend a lot of money on a robot, right? Mm-hmm. You have to go get a total station. And uh, it was a lot of work. And honestly, for a long time, you had to have a crew of three or four people, right? I mean, it was it was a it was a production. Um, you know, and then GPS, the advent of GPS, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, it was big, bulky equipment, 50, 60, 70,000 bucks and backpacks and base stations and all this different stuff, right? And what happened with that democratization, I'd say over the last 10 years, uh, positioning has gotten um, more prolific, obviously, and that tech has you know, uh, for lack of a better term, it's, it's gotten out of Pandora's box. And so 
anybody can go online and download, you know, all the information you need to build a GPS. And uh, with that, uh, low cost alternatives have come out. Advent of a lot of different technology, uh, autonomous vehicles is a big one. Location-based uh, services is a big one. Uh, smart watches, wearables, smart devices, which by the way, we're not even supposed to say that anymore. Like the, the younger generations don't even understand what a smart device is because there's just <laughs> devices uh, because they're all smart, you know? And so um, your phone's got this little GPS in it all of a sudden and it's collecting data and all these things are collecting data. And yeah, it's it's brought the cost way, way down. If, you, if you're building a $12,000 electric car, right? If that's your goal, if you're Tesla or Chevy, right? And you want to buy, you want to build an electric car that can drive itself to, for the everyday person in America, for the blue collar, for the normal average citizen. Uh, how are you going to get the pricing down, right? Like you can't have a $35,000 GPS driving a car if the car itself is less than that, right? And so sure. capitalistic markets have pushed that pricing down. Quite frankly, a lot of what's happened overseas, you know, China, India, these Taiwan, um, They've come in and they've manufactured this stuff. So you're seeing it drop in price. Back to Suga's question, um, not five years, not 10 years. I mean, some surveyors are still having a pro problem with GIS. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into 3, 3D yet. Um, but I would certainly say within the next two decades, you're going to have monumental shifts and you'll continue to see them shift. I don't think the robot dog spot is going to go surveying next week, quite frankly. Um, but you'll see it be more and more prolific where like you'll you'll be at a meeting and somebody will have an augmented reality device soon, right? You're going to be at a job site and you're going to see somebody using it and it's it's just going to be second nature. Yeah, totally agree. Rebecca, do you have anything to add? Um, I would just like to say that I'm really looking forward to the day that when Esri has the user convention in San Diego, they put some locational devices in the building so that you can see where you are in the conference center and walk your way to your next meeting. I don't know why they haven't done that yet because they keep touting all this technology, but they can't even show you where you are on their map. Uh, yeah, I could have used that for the Venetian on the past yeah, conference because right. I took a couple laps around that place still trying to find my hotel room and uh, it was not easy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, good stuff, guys. Appreciate that. Um, well, did you have something, Nick? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, uh, to Rebecca's point, though, mm -hmm. Esri's there, too. So it's called ArcGIS Indoors. Uh, I was at the Esri UC this past year, and it's it's close, right? And so you can't use a GPS in a building, right? That doesn't really work. But Wi-Fi routers and other yep. devices that send out electronic signals can triangulate your location in a building. And uh, we aren't far away where you just walk seamlessly into a building, and it picks you up and... Rebecca, um, you're going to have your map on, on how to get there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see that this upcoming 2023 Esri UC. Now, that's expensive tech, and they would be debuting it. The average you know, building probably won't have it for quite some time, but it's probably not that far off either. Hey, Geoholics, we'd like to take a second to recognize another one of our amazing friends of the program, Airworks. Airworks was founded in 2017 by David Morzneck and Adam Kersnowski. Their complementary backgrounds in aerospace engineering and construction led to a combined desire to harness the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning to automate a traditionally stale aerial data processing process. Headquartered in Boston, Airworks employs a team of unmatched AI experts, full-stack developers, designers, marketers, and 
and civil engineers all working together to redefine what CAD drafting means for firms in the built world. With Airworks Automate, you can get CAD deliverables in record time on our 10 standard automated layers. Results are fully validated by our in-house engineering team to guarantee quality. Together with Airworks CAD, their self-service 2D drafting tool designed to simplify your manual drafting process, you can now complete projects from a data upload to deliverable right in one platform. Their mission is to make aerial data accessible and useful for decision makers in the built environment. Find out more by visiting airworks.io. So someone who is considering a career in GIS, I mean, let's face it, pretty much every college or university at this point has some sort of GIS program. Um, you know, what, what are, I don't know, maybe between the two of you can come up with this. What are like the top five skills uh, one needs to have a successful career in GIS? Passion for Dun- Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Or you have to be ahead. Apparently, you have to like hippie music, or you like to D and D. Or archaeology. Or archaeology. Yes, apparently. And most archaeologists, they honestly think they're Indiana Jones anyway. So, <laughs> and and you need to be a fisherman with a good depth finder. Oh yeah, there you go. Okay, I like it. All this data. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. So, what do you guys think about that? Do you have to be good at math? No. Rebecca, why don't you start? No, I don't think you have to be good at math. I think you have to be good at not being intimidated by terminology. You have to be good with Google. You have to be able to learn a scripting and coding language. And if you can research, you're golden. Hmm. This just this question just came to mind. So in your guys' opinion, do you have to have a degree in GIS to be successful in that field? Ahead, I will say you have to have a degree, but I do think that you need to understand the theory behind it because mm-hmm. we have a lot of backseat drivers that drive along and they mess up a lot of information and they do not realize what they're doing. Oh, Kent loves that topic. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would a hundred percent agree. If we mixed a couple different questions together over this podcast, you asked the differences in the past 20 years 20 years ago, there are a lot of people that got into GIS would have been like the person at the counter collecting the maps when people would come and submit them to the city, right? And that person didn't need to have a bachelor's degree and they could stay at the city and learn how to do GIS and they would become a level one technician after working and say the map except, you know, on the clerk, right? And I think there are still positions in GIS just like 15, 20 years ago where you don't need a degree. If you want to make maps, quite frankly, you want to make archaeological site maps, you're going to make a boundary, you're going to plot where the artifacts are, your sherds and lithics, and, you know, you may have a right-of-way. Uh, a lot of that's done in CAD. It's it's not super complicated, maybe a little more on the cartographic side. Yeah, you don't need a degree. but. To, to be a true GIS, what I would say, beyond a technician level, an analyst, a coordinator, a programmer, a manager, uh, I would agree with Rebecca. You, it, it's a little deeper than that. You would need to, you know, you're going to want to learn some, you know, you're, you're going to need to know how to read, write, and communicate. You know, you're going to have to spell, you know, things like that. I know that sounds weird, but if you want to code, you know, you have to be able to do some of these things and understand systems. You have to be willing to learn. 
this crud changes every year or two, mm. right? And yeah. it's just I, I was sitting there today and I'm like, oh my God, I don't I don't know any of these things. You know, it's like, mm. and I do this every day. Um, you need to be able to be self-taught and you have a little bit of gumption to go get it yourself. I said Google earlier, but I think <laughs> if you can't go Google search the answer, you're gonna have a problem in GIS because every third thing you do in GIS, you run into a roadblock. And I bet Re Rebecca would mm. agree with me. Like it's just a it's a constant like I'm doing something and it's not working. I'm doing something and it's not working. I'm doing something and it's not working, right? And how do you jump that not working? You've got to go figure that out on your own. And so being a little bit of a sleuth and a yeah. you know, a learner is a, is a really important thing. Yeah, resourcefulness. Yeah. Definitely. No doubt. You got to dog. Have to what? You got to be a bulldog. Oh yeah, sounds like it. And that that's that's a big statement coming from a you know roll tide Alabama fan. No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Which by the way, Mr. Sugar, I'm really glad you told me not to bet on that Georgia Tennessee game. That you're gonna bring that up. But, uh, like don't touch that. Bones. Don't Thank touch you. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. I mean, they're not all terrible. <laughs> For sure. But she's right. You have to be a bulldog. You got to fight your way through these um, situations. And so I teach GIS, obviously. And my my wife, as you brought up earlier, Danielle is a, a, a teacher as part of her PhD program. And we we often we've joked about on the show, right? We're, you know, our pillow talk is GIS. And so we're talking about our students. And a lot of what we see is students want a line by line, list by list, direction on how to do everything. Step one, open the program, look in the lower left-hand corner, click the button, you know, and like they mm. want a really detailed list of everything they need to do. The moment they hit something that's not on said list, right, and they, and they blow up and they, they freak out. And I get it. As part of the learning process, you've got to learn how to get through that. But as I've discussed with my wife, the biggest thing is the students that are really successful they figure it out on their own. They don't just hit the roadblock and go, nope, it didn't work. I'm done. I'm fed up. The computer crashed or, you know, my geoprocessing tool didn't work or it didn't come out the way I thought. They keep doing it and they keep doing it and they keep trying it and they look on the internet and they find blog posts and resources and they call their friend and they get it done. And the moment they struggle bus and they get through that thing, they're like the best analyst you've ever had because they've overcome that issue and then they have confidence and a good gis person goes i don't care what geographic phenomenon you're going to throw at me i know that i've got a toolbox worth of really good stuff i have a community that's going to support me and i can figure it out mm -hmm. and i think that's just a huge thing like don't get don't run away in fear the first time you hit a roadblock because gis you will hit roadblocks rebecca i'd love to hear like with your experience, 25 years and watching processing change, I mean, any thoughts on that? You know, like how many times do you think you've done something in GIS and it didn't work? A million times? <laughs> Every time I do something. <laughs> right? Like, we spent two hours today just trying to figure out, you know, why we were converting from CAD to GIS, why the, um, why the footprints weren't the same, the geometry is changing. And you know what we figured out after two hours? It was the hashing fill in the CAD that someone hadn't snapped to the boundaries. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, but yeah, but as far as the whole geoprocessing thing, um, that's changed a lot. Um, and the forums, having these online mm. forums, and I 100% agree, you cannot live in a box. 
you can't have too much pride to go out and put a question on a forum or call up a colleague in another state or whatever. Someone, you know, that works in your same environment, especially as what I deal with. And you just cannot be on a lonely island, a soul man. You have to get out there and involve your community. Sure. And I, I, it's my understanding there, there are regulations um, as it pertains to GIS, but I guess what I, I, don't know, like, for example, here in Arizona, we have the Board of Technical Registration that kind of, you know, polices or whatever, you know, surveyors and engineers and architects when there's, you know, mistakes made and complaints filed and things of that nature. Is there, is, does something like that exist for the GIS profession? Uh, not that, I don't know. Does it? Not in the same capacity that I know of. Um so you can get your GISP, which is a Geographic Information Systems Professional Certificate, which mm -hmm. I have for an example. Um, that's going to require somewhere in the eight to 10 years or five to eight years of experience. You've got to take tests. You've got to have community involvement. You've got to have education. All of these different things that get you to this criteria to have GISP after your name and a, and a license number. However, it's not a licensure, Kent, uh, like you would think where I'm stamping a, a document that mm. I'm putting liability on. I've never seen a GIS stamp anything. Mm. There's no required documents that I know of that require a GISP. The difference is, I, you know, I interact with a whole lot of people because I travel quite a bit. When I see somebody's signature line on an email pop up or on their card, it says GISP. I know for a fact all those things I just rattled on after a few Bud Lights about, they, they, they've done it. They know it. They've, they've lived it. They've been a part of it. And so I can jump in on a conversation with the average GISP and feel confident that they'll understand what a projection system is. Sure. Um, but in terms of licensure, no. Now, I think we talked about this maybe last year on the podcast, but there was some big stuff and stink going on in Pennsylvania. Mm. Yep. Uh, they had some verbiage that came across for mapping and surveying and, and GIS and the, how that looks. And it's it's pretty much like the country is today. 50% is on one side and 50% is on the other, right? I've seen really complex articles. Uh, arguments on why you should be licensed mm -hmm. and a professional to do things. And then I've seen a lot of arguments on the other side. And I think I don't have enough beer with me in the hotel room tonight to get into <laughs> it, you know, in that depth. But yeah. no, as far as I know, I don't know any of licensures that's it's mandatory um, in terms of GIS as of today. Um, do I think there should be maybe some? Mm -hmm. Probably depending Especially on the, when you're yeah. talking about health data. I was just going to say, yeah. Like, well, and I think that it also depends on the application. We were talking yeah. earlier about uh, get it get down to centimeter or survey grade accuracy and what you're relying on it. Then mm -hmm. depends on who's using it and how they're relying on it. But if I'm looking at a map of each state's favorite fast food, I probably don't need a certification on the guy who put that map together. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It depends on the application. It's just you know, if it could have a uh, detrimental effect on the public health and safety, let's say. Oh, I, so I'm just going to keep echoing where Rebecca said, uh, man, GIS has changed a ton because of COVID, right? Um, I've been doing a little bit of reading and research on the COVID dashboard from John Hopkins. We've talked about mm -hmm. it in the past mm -hmm. too, right? So that, co that COVID dashboard became the number one viewed map on yeah. earth, still is. And it gets a gajillion views. I mean, billions, billions of views 
And think about how many people that map influence decision making. And I remember at the onset in Phoenix of COVID looking at the individual counties and areas around where I was in Mesa, Arizona and being like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to go to that restaurant or well, restaurant was closed. Like I wouldn't even go that area. I think, um, I think there's probably, you know, some regulation that needs to be there. I mean, in that same story, I don't know if you guys remember, but in Florida, there was a big controversy during COVID and the web dashboard and this uh, person named Rebecca Jones, and it made national news. Mm-hmm. She claimed that the um, uh, Florida, I guess, Department of Health was not um, compiling their data correctly for political reasons. I will say that uh, she just lost a Congress run in, in the panhandle of Florida during their election. Um, but that was huge, right? Like, here we are talking about it. And I don't know, left, right, center, up, down, what was right or wrong. But maybe there should be some regulations. I, you know. yeah. yeah. It's powerful stuff. Depends who's relying on the maps and what they're relying on it for, you know. It's crazy. And the data, yeah. accuracy of the data. I mean, there's so right. many things that come into play. It's crazy. Well, and I, too, I think it comes back down to that whole collaboration thing mm. because we ran into this looking at some hydrography. We were trying to do some analysis on flooding and this, that, and the other. But I know I know how to use the software. I know how to do geostatistical analysis mm-hmm. and build a model, but I'm not a hydrographer. So, you know, you, you have to know when you need to bring in an expert to look over your work to make sure you're handling that data correctly. Yeah, and the impacts could be huge. Like if you're using that and you're using that data to make determinations on, you know, yeah. For that example, maybe like who is required to have flood insurance. There okay. You go. Well, that's just a map that somebody's going to use and have significant financial impacts for people, but the source of that was something and there has to be some some mm-hmm. certification or some reliability on there's a check on what data that goes into it. So I think to hit this home recently, um, and I, uh, Kent will be very familiar with this, but there's a whole level of engineering called Sue, not like, you know, a boy named Sue from Johnny Cash. Sue is in- Sue the dinosaur. Not Sue the dinosaur. Uh, that This is not a paleontological term. Uh, Sue as in subsurface utility engineering. Oh, yeah. And recently the American Society of Civil Engineers came out with new regulations like a few weeks ago. And states are adopting these yeah. regulations that as new utilities go in, they have mapping standards attached to them. Mm-hmm. And those mapping standards require RLSs or PEs to sign. And a lot of the time it is GIS people doing some of that, but I'm okay with it. And you know why? Because if I'm mapping the exact authoritative location of a gas line through some metropolitan area, people's lives are on the line. Absolutely. And you know what? There's some regulation that needs to happen there. And I think that's amazing. I, I I don't think that's a bad thing at all because it it helps people confirm conform right. And uh, you want to get to the point where you're going to drive the nail into the wall and feel confident about it. Well, you know, there's going to have to be standards. And then you know that does bring up another question or or dilemma: How do computers have standards? Hmm. Right? Like, how does the augmented reality system go nail it right here and? How does the augmented reality system or the you know artificial intelligence system say you're about to get in a wreck in this car? Is your life worth more or the pedestrian next to the car? <laughs> right. So the the machines have to now take the accountability and um, the liability that the stamp of that registered person would do. Right. Like that's another crazy thought. You're gonna have 
computers go map things, are they going to stamp it? Oh, I would love to transfer my liability to a computer, but I just, I, I think that, mm. I don't think we can get there. It's so interesting. Um, makes me think of the uh, no rules for tools quote. Oh, yeah. That's no right. rules for tools. So funny. How about you, Rebecca? Anything else to add to that part of the conversation? Well, I probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, <laughs> uh, guns don't kill people. People kill people. I, you know, it's that same. Yeah. Same, the same thing, you yeah. know. Yeah, I don't disagree. So on that note, Rebecca, what are you most excited about moving forward, whether it be five years down the road, 10 years down the road? What are you looking forward to? Retirement. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> great answer. That's a great answer. That's awesome. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most is just the the more user-friendly um, interfaces because I think the more people we can engage, the better off in some ways, now it's a double-edged sword, but the better off we're going to be because the more buy-in you get, the more growth you get in your programs, the more mm. you're appreciated. And I know for me, there's a lot of frustration of folks not really understanding that they need to add to their investment because you can buy a car, but if you're not going to change the spark plugs, you're not going to put good oil in it. You're not going to give it gas then it does you no good and you've, you've wasted your money on the purchase of that vehicle. Ah, great so analogy. We, need, we need more buy-in from uh, leadership in our industries. Yeah. Yep. Love that. How about you, Nick? Uh, in terms of like GIS specifically or just in general in life or something? Um, in your case, let's, well, yeah, we should probably stick to GIS. Sticking to GIS. Um, what am I excited about? So I'm pretty excited to see what the next step beyond a smartphone is, right? Mm. So smartphones have changed everything. Yep. That This thing does so much. It's 100 times more powerful than the Apollo missions to the moon. What's the next evolution of this? Mm. Is it a – so they literally have people that will inject chips into their body now, right? Yep. They can put a little chip in your hand. It's technically illegal, but – you could have a you could have a little Wi-Fi device here that you could start using to open locks, or is it a glass? Is it truly like Geordi from Star Trek? You've got a pair of glasses on. We're all gonna be, you know, like they yeah. they called the people that were the early adopters of the Google Glass. Uh, did you ever hear this? Do you know what those are called? Yeah. The people that wore Google glasses. No, no, no. I don't know that term. No. They're they're called glass holes. <laughs> of course they are. Well, you imagine you walk into a bathroom, you've got a camera system with augmented reality on your face. But no, my, my point is, what's the next device beyond the phone, mm. right? How in that, and in, in, in terms of GIS, how does that play into all of this? That's a great question. And it's all, I guess it boils down to collecting data and what form that data is going to be in, you know? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I've been I've been fixated on this Apple Watch concept, but like goodness gracious, if you had this thing, you know, some of those people have the diabetic, you know, kind of insulin readers oh, yeah. that attach to their skin. What if you just had like a wearable that just stayed on you all the time? Mm -hmm. How far off are we actually from something like that? Not very. Not that far. No. And it's scary. I'm not saying this is a good thing. I just, you know, it's it's gonna be interesting to watch it develop. Yeah. Kind of sounds org to me. Yeah, no, we're going to call me seven of nine or. Whatever. Well, that's the next step. I think that, you know, 
I don't like wearing a watch because it kind of bugs me. So the next is just, all right, well, implant all the good stuff right in my wrist and I still have it without having to, you know, like you talk about the, 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 uh, you know, this thing when you sleep and your sleeping patterns, like I can't wear a watch when I sleep, it bugged the crap out of me, but all the same technology and collecting that data, it, it's, it's a small little thing and it can just, you yeah. know. It's got to be something under the skin, and then it's got to be something injectable. Go right to my glasses, and then go into the contacts, and then before you realize, they have contacts. Look it up. I don't know exactly where they are with the research, but they have contacts that can display things on your contacts, like your blood pressure, like on your contact. That's crazy. And then you talk about ingestibles. What was I think it was like at Mm. Disneyland or Disney World? They or honey, I shrunk the kids or yeah. whatever, you know, yep. they get in the little thing and they get swallowed and they're, you know, flying around the system. But how f- we're not that far away from that either. I mean, yeah. quantum technologies and maybe we are. I, well, don't know. I think injectables but, is a little closer than honey. I shrunk the kids, but I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I like, I, I like where your head's at. Ant-Man right here. I'm down. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, uh, what else, guys? Uh, I have one more question I usually like to ask everybody. Especially our guests. Oh, especially our guests. I already know what Kent's is. Uh, Rebecca, do you have a mantra that you live by? Never give up. Solid. Oh, Solid. Very good. Solid. Yeah, we... As a, uh, as, as a NC State grad, <laughs> that is a big one for me. Is it because of the uh, athletics? Or what, what, is, what is this? Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy V. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That's a great one. Ah, watch that speech and just tear up every single time. I'm tearing up thinking about it. Man, love Jimmy V week. And then they, they show the speech and God gets me every time. Mm, Yep. Me too. For sure. All right. How about, um, I I don't have anything else. Rebecca, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to get out there? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Thank you caught me too late in the day for any grand thoughts. No, you did great. And again, thank you so much for the last minute, uh, uh, agreeing last minute, I should say, to join us. That, that was huge. It well, saved the week for us. Yeah, it really did. And, and I, I know Rebecca's super exhausted from a huge GIS day celebration. So I'm glad, I'm glad you could fit it in. Yep, no question. How about you, Nick? Any last words? No, just... Appreciative to be here, and if you're listening to this, you're you know it's after GIS Day. That's okay if you didn't know that there was even such a thing as GIS Day. But what I would encourage you to do, if you'd like to know more, reach out to the Geoholics. We can get you all kinds of information about GIS Day and next year's events. There are events in every town and city and college, university and government agency, and the Geoholics. I'd be remiss if I said if we don't actually have more of a GIS Day event next year, I've failed at being a co-host of this program. But please <laughs> reach out to the Geoholics. We'd love to hear from you and, and get you connected within the GIS uh, community. And uh, it's 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 definitely a cool – I mean, how many professions have a day? You know, that's, that's pretty neat. It's pretty yeah, amazing. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Neat. And there is pretty actually cool. – I failed to mention this earlier. There's a GISday.com website with a shit ton of information about GIS Day. God, who bought that and when? And tons yeah, yeah. of resources. There's all these resources. Like, oh, man. I, I spent probably, I shouldn't say this in front of Sean, but I spent probably an hour on that website. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
See, GIS will absolutely, you'll learn something about GIS. There's this whole thing called billable time. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too many rabbit holes there. Too many rabbit holes. All right. Well, hey, thanks again, Rebecca. Thanks, Nick, for being able to join us this evening as well. And um, gosh, adding value, making friends. I mean, we've made so many friends this past week, Sean. I mean, uh, it, it's pretty amazing. And as I said, very, very humbling. It absolutely is. Tons of fun. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show or have any uh, ideas for topics, shoot us an email at info at the Dirk Bentley, draw me a map. Available everywhere. Until next time, everyone, happy GIS Day and be safe and healthy. Thank you to our 2022 Friends of the Program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com. North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com. ProStar Corporation, prostarcorp.com. Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us. Topodot, new.certainty3d.com. And finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.